Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey, everyone. I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. And it's got to be our most special edition. It really does. I've been looking forward to this for months. I've had viewers and listeners emailing the show, texting or commenting on our social media, wanting to hear from Marcus Luttrell. Oh, so honored to finally be able to bring him to you. And also a double dose of goodness, his identical twin brother, Morgan Luttrell. These two are going to make you stand up and cheer. They're going to show us how to love America, how to raise little patriots, how to raise tough kids who never quit. They're going to make you understand what it is that has made us feel like we live in a special place for all this time, right? Why do we fall so in love with our military men and women? Just listen to them and you'll be reminded of all of it. Both guys raised in Texas, uh, became Navy SEALs, were deployed multiple times to Iraq and Afghanistan, serving our country nobly, bravely. Um, And this is their first time speaking about the exit from Afghanistan and how it was handled by Joe Biden and whether it's caused them to think differently about whether it was all worth it. Uh, they have not yet addressed this. They have a podcast. Uh, they, they co-host a, a very worth your time podcast called the Never Quit Podcast. And it's super fun. They interviewed their mom once uh, and many others. And, and um, they haven't actually gone there in the podcast. So we're honored to have those first remarks for you. I think you'll find them interesting. And they're also right now running something called the Team Never Quit Foundation, which supports veterans and the families of the fallen. They've had a lifetime of service. It continues to this day. They've been through hell, especially Marcus. Morgan, too, though. And, um, you know, it's not every day you get to spend an hour and a half with two guys like this in any, in any time of your life. This was a true honor for me. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. In one minute, here they are. Hey, guys, how are you? Miss Megan, how are you? I'm great. All right, so you decided to mess with me by dressing the same. You already look the same. Thank you for the beard differential. That'll help. Yeah, we put a pin yeah. on his on his. Uh... <laughs> I was going to wear a tie, but they told same me to be comfortable. So. <laughs> I like it. No, I like it. All right, so just for the audience at home, we've got we we've got Marcus on the left and and Morgan on the right. So uh, when they're watching this on YouTube, or they, do they got we? You. <laughs> mm, I, you know, we'll get to that because I understand you guys are fond of switching it up a little. It has a happened a time or three throughout our tenure on this planet. You're going to be blessed with a twin. You might as well utilize it. You have to own it. I can see that. Yeah. How old are you guys now? We're celebrating our 23rd anniversary from being 21 soon. Which oh, I like that. 45. Fix of you heading to the 46th. Okay. That makes sense to me. Okay. So let's dive right in on, um, on the week's news because I've been dying to get your reaction to the events this week in Afghanistan. Let's start with you on that, Marcus. What do you think? It's, it's tough to watch. Obviously, we have a. All of us have a connection there. the The scenario that's unfolding right now with Americans still in, uh, there, waiting, uh, feeling that 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 lost feeling, that sense of hope, not hopelessness. I wouldn't think because we're still here. I, I've had that. I mean, literally over there by myself, not knowing, doing. Y'all came and got me. I never forgot that. I spend the rest of my life trying to make my soul bleed, showing each American how precious that is to me. And when you get when something like this happens, you have a, a, a taste for what America truly is. I mean, I, I wanted to hug the first person I saw and to 
it ought to let you know how wonderful this place is. And in America, it is a place, but it's, moreover, it's the people. And there are people literally holding on to the outside of our aircrafts trying to get here and falling from the sky just to meet y'all, just, just to hang out here. Because all they have access to so far is just the people in the military. And we're kind of regimental. The true spice of, this, of, of America is our people back home. And, and people are flooding to get here. We not only have Americans over there that you, we have to get back. Just bottom line, you got to get them back. Now, call cost alone, send in expendables or send in this rest of the military and put us in there. We'll go do it. Y'all have truly never seen the full weight of what, what we're capable of because you just they never had to implement that. But it's, uh, I, I think the emotion that I'm feeling more over than anything else, and, and most of the veterans are, is man, there's still people back there. We don't leave anybody behind. I never had PTSD, but I start to get it thinking that there's some of our, our countrymen stranded somewhere and they need our help. And I know that firsthand experience because y'all came and got me. So I know it's possible. Y'all sent the entire military in to get me. And I was in hell. They're on the border of it. Yeah. So it, it's, um, it kind of resonates real, real, uh, real close to home here. Yeah, I would say you, you've got a deep appreciation of what it means to be stranded out in the middle of a country. Oh, waiting for somebody to come get you. Trying to kill you. People trying to kill you. Yep. Right. You can't even imagine what it's like when you set foot back here. It looks different. Feels different. I mean, we're, we got, we're going through some stuff here in America. And we're a family. Families do that. And we'll get through this. And as I've been, we've gone through it. I, the way I always look at it is, man, I, nothing will ever change how much I love everybody here for coming to get me and what mm -hmm. I try to do to show that. Mm -hmm. Biden's now saying that we'll go back. We'll get we'll get the military guys and we'll get the Americans. Um, the promises are less explicit on getting those who helped us the translators and sort of the Afghan people who were in support roles to our men and women in uniform over there. I wonder what you think about that, Morgan. Let me ask you that one, because we heard from a lot of military guys who are upset about that and, you know, knew how much we relied on those helpers when we were over there. You couldn't tell the difference between um, ourselves and our translators or our support. Uh, rounds come down range. They, they, they did not discriminate. And those that, those that were tasked to us fought just as hard as we did. And we've always said, and, and, and I always wanted them to have the opportunity to come over and be here because they defended the, our country just like it was their own. So it's very disheartening to see or hear, excuse me, that that's a possibility that that won't happen. I'm maybe call me eternal optimist that there's enough people surrounding the administration that says, no, they're, they're, they need the opportunity and they must have the opportunity to come we need to rescue them just like we need to rescue all the Americans that are, that are waiting on us. Mm -hmm. Period. Discussion. I, let, me, let me tell you something. Not only do they serve us over and help us overseas, they were in the front there. We watched those, those terms and um, especially the ones that are signed to us thousands of missions. We pinned a couple of those guys with seal tridents. They were such great operators. I mean, they gave it everything they had. Those are the ones you definitely want to bring back. Otherwise, why else would anybody help you? And if they're, if they're willing to help you in the worst situation ever, they'll obviously help yeah. us over here when things are good, too, and when things are bad. I was actually listening to the New York Times podcast, The Daily, uh, today, and they were talking about this soldier who had served in Afghanistan. He was talking about the relationship that you develop with the translator. Here he is. His, his name was um, Colin Daniels, served in the Army for six years, 28 years old. Here's just a little bit of that guy. Listen. We would tell the Afghans, whether they were interpreters or civilians or Afghan army, that they could trust us as Americans. You know, I joined the military 
because I like truly believed that America was the, I, I believed in America. And they did too. And, um, and like we, we told them on an individual level, trust us, trust us on this patrol, trust us on this KLE, trust us on, on all this. We have your back because they just were aspiring to be free. What's more American than that? And, you know, when push comes to shove, like, I don't disagree with having to leave Afghanistan. Like we can't do it forever, but when push comes to shove, these people that soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines told, Hey man, you can trust me. It's a lie now, you know? Excuse me. You can hear that guy's pain. You can, you can hear it. There, there is we, because the relationships, it, it, they're most certainly carved out in, in pain and misery and, and most certainly blood. So the fact that you look, and it's just as important looking left and right and seeing who's standing there with you, they're there. So I can, I, I, I can empathize with him knowing that we, we did, we did. Though that was always conversations that you had with those individuals that supported us is that, you know, some of them wanted to come blank. Yes. I mean, cause that's how it was always articulated to us. Like, you know, we, you'll have that opportunity. I would, I would say the vast majority of Americans still believe that. And I, I, I won't maybe preface this with saying, I, I don't think we, we, there was an intentional lie to the individuals that supported us over there from Afghanistan, the locals that supported us. And, the army and the interpreters. I don't think we intentionally lied to them. I think once again, if you look at the the administration, they, they weren't prepared. And I think their decision-making was not orchestrated properly. And then it just came completely off the rails. What do you make of that? Cause, cause Biden's out there today saying um, he, that it could not have been done better. He says he does not think it could have been handled in any better way. Do you agree with that? No, 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 not at all. I most certainly I think they absolutely got everything backwards. I think we should have remained in place and started evacuating civilian population. Those are the ones that can't defend themselves properly. Then you come into the interpreters, then you, and then the army, and then whomever else. And we're the ones you leave behind. It's it's systematic. We can handle ourselves. We're we're, we're designed for that part. You you get everybody else, and then we go. I I don't know if he's if he was. I saw the ABC interview, and I don't know why he won't. You know, this something Trump would have done. He's like I would because he's like. He would never answer, hey, August 31st is at the deadline. Will you will troops remain in place? And he kept dancing around it. Trump would have been like, we'll stay there until the day I die, until every American's out of there and every support staff's out of there. Why? I don't understand why that's a problem. Yeah, we're going to stay. If we got to go back, you know, we did this wrong. We, we messed up. We effed up. But I'm going to course correct this. And I'm sending in the Marines and the Airborne, and we're staying. And we're staying until the last person's out, and then we'll put a date. I don't know why that's so hard. We heard a very different be- message from President Biden. I'll, I'll, let me just give the audience a sample of what he said to George Stephanopoulos so they know what we're talking about. But it was very deflecting. It was not a message of I'm taking responsibility. It was basically reminding me of Kevin Bacon in Animal House. All is fine. All is calm. Remain calm. All is fine. All is well. No, no I got one better than that, Megan. They had one of the spokesmen out. And I. Th- there was a Jim Carrey movie where 
he works for a, a global company like Fun with Dick and Jane. He's on there trying to tell you what a great company it is. And then they have the other, the real live stream going and it's all falling apart and they're doing their level best. I heard him say, we have, we make, we got communications with the Taliban and we let guys coming in and out of the airport. That's probably a gate guard outside the airport saying, yeah, come on, bring him up in here. We don't negotiate with the Taliban. They don't negotiate with us. That's that's the whole point. That's that's why we yeah. can just go in there and get our Americans out. We don't have to ask for permission. There's no stable government. And the president bailed, right? Then he, he yeah, grabbed he a bunch of coin and hauled butt. America's a lot of things. Do we have our bad part? Yeah, we do. But the only time you have to stand up and be recognized as an American to understand its values is when we say the pledge. And, and, when, and that because if you are stranded somewhere, just one of us, if one of our people is stranded somewhere and needs help, I, we will send the entire country to come get you. That's the blessing to be an American. And the trust level goes, they sleep in the camps with us, those Terps and everything. They pos a position of watch. I mean, if, if they can't trust us, if we go over there and we go on the missions and it's like a half, half trust with them, well, man, that, that doesn't make you feel too safe. Yep. Let's, uh, let, let, let me stand by because I want to get the audience up to speed on Biden. Let's just listen to a, a sampling of what he said on ABC. When you look at what's happened over the last week, was it a failure of intelligence, planning, execution or judgment? Look, I don't think it was a fair. Look, it was a simple choice, George. When the when the Taliban. Uh, let me back it put it another way. When you had the government of Afghanistan, the leader of that government getting in a plane and taking off and going to another country, when you saw the significant collapse of the of the uh, Afghan troops we had trained, up to 300,000 of them, just leaving their equipment and, and, and taking off. That was, you know, I'm not, this is, is that, that's what happened. That's simply what happened. But we've all seen the pictures. We've seen those hundreds of people packed into a C-17. We've seen Afghans falling. That was four days ago, five days ago. What did you think when you first saw those pictures? What I thought was we're, we have to gain control of this. We have to move this more quickly. We have to move in a way in which we can take control of that airport. And we did. So you don't think this could have been handled, this actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. What do you make of that, Marcus? I think it's been a few days now. So my hindsight is we see what happened. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to su suggest something. I don't have to belittle anybody. I don't have to talk smack about anybody. I don't do that anyways. It's, it's right there in front of your face. I mean, you can literally turn on television and hear and watch it. You don't have to have somebody tell us. It's there. Right. I mean, I think he most certainly his day. I think every one of his answers was taking a political stance instead of the stance of the commander in chief. Mm. And a commander in chief would not shift and point shift blame and point fingers. A commander in chief would stand up and say, mistakes were made. We own it. And this is what we're doing to course correct it. I will say that the only way the reason you know that, that, that's, that that's happened is when someone tries to explain it. And any situation that you get into, if, when, when the outcome presents itself, if there's no explanation, and that's the way it was supposed to go. And e even when it snowballs, the contingencies, people can pick that up. You can see it. If you're just constantly having to, to defend and try to explain, not defend it, just try to explain it, then that's how you know. Yeah, I, something's it, gone wrong. 
can I can I can I offer something from my love my level what when I say my level, my rank when I was in the military and we were serving over there, and that was at an operator's level on the ground. The day one, week one, when I first stepped foot in Afghanistan in the early 2000s, talking with the villagers, talking with the, the, the army, what you're seeing as far as the Taliban coming in and how they've taken back the country, in my opinion, that was always inevitable. It was going to happen. It's happened over millennia. Alexander the Great got stopped there. From, from throughout British, time, Russian, everybody stops right there. Uh, what was not inevitable was how it happened now. We could have done it differently where we wouldn't be in the position of American lives are in jeopardy. That most certainly would have changed, in my opinion, in Morgan's opinion. Yeah. But the fact that we've, we fought in that war and the Taliban has come back. They just waited us out like they did everyone else. That was going to happen. And I, and I think you've heard a lot of leadership say that. Well, the, the amazing, when you see something spread that fast, it means people are allowing it to take that. Because Afghanistan is a little bit smaller than Texas. And to consume it like that would have meant there was the little to no resistance. And when you watch TV and you see all of them, the, the Taliban on the road with those with our weaponry, the way they're, they're moving and, and walking, the way they're carrying, way they're carrying themselves. Just the way they, they carry themselves. You know, we trained them. That's the Afghan army. So they were already, that was our, that whole thing was going on underneath uh, the watch. It spread like a wildfire. Right. I mean, coming from it, the north it, down to the south, it could go districts ahead. Hey, the Taliban's moving in. Yeah, Americans, that, are, boom, Americans aren't here down. anymore. I don't have any backside support. I'm Taliban now. That's right. Well, a lot of people, they do have to self preserve right they do to save their own lives to save the lives of their families they always they that. said that's like what are you what are we supposed to do when you leave they're doing it and we weren't yep. there to stay that's not i mean we didn't go into to occupy that's the only way you could truly change it is to get the people to take control or we have to stay and then you just you build a society there and you said it best megan it's self-preservation I mean, yeah. if i have to survive and the taliban's coming through i, I need to conform and so is that a good thing or a bad thing? Or is it just a thing? I mean, surely but just a thing. Like, I'm, I'm curious how you guys, because you sound different about it when I talked to Rob O'Neill, for example, you know, the, the SEAL who killed bin Laden, one, one of the guys who went in on that mission, the guy who shot, filed, fired the shot. And he's pissed off. And he said, um, you know, what, what, did, what did our guys die for? What was I there for? You know, he's like, I don't like the whole country's now back in the hands of the guys we were sent over there to fight. You know, Al Qaeda is going to get another stronghold there, another foothold there and launch more terror attacks on us. So what did our guys die for? He said, I'm angry. I'm, I'm pissed. Do you, have you talked to anybody like that? Like, what do you think, what, what do you make of that perspective? I, Dr. I, Robbie, I've been, I've been filled in phone calls <laughs> since this kicked off. And I, I think I might have a little different response to most people. And I don't mean to anger anybody, but I, I tried to level this, the, the situation and saying, we, we lost our brothers and sisters over there. We, 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 we went over there and we fought for 20 years and now it, it is it all for nothing. I, I always said, I've been saying since all this happened is like, I'm proud to have gone over there and served. And I tell everybody, hold your head high because you did exactly what you were supposed to do that your country asked you to do. And is it tragic that we've lost are the, are the, are the, are the, the loved ones that lost someone, are they hurting and dying? Yes, they are. But their loved ones in my, and I always, and this may not be the case, but I try to, I tell myself this every day, they, they died doing what they love doing. To, to and support because they lost their lives, others lived. And then I, I tell all the individuals that served with me, is like, hey, look, you know what? We did exactly what we were tasked to do. 
is it over? Did we, did we lose or did we time out? Because inevitably, if you don't have anybody to surrender to you, there, there's really no, there's no end of the quarter. Yeah, there was never going to be a spike the ball in the end zone moment in Afghanistan. Well, that's when there was. It was, yeah. So when when that dude came down to get some milk and cookies and found Rob O'Neill in his kitchen, blasting right in the face. That's that <laughs> that kind of ended that. That that was a different war than when we were there. It's been twenty years. I mean, that's generational. What we were there for is completely different of what the troops are there for now. So when we see that, like when you, well, what we had to go through to to get to the point to where we could leave. That's where the frustration is coming from. Like, hey, man, if you had to have any idea what we had to go through just to get to where we could attempt to leave, you wouldn't want, we didn't want to see it go down like that because we, we weren't never allowed to operate like that. And uh, yeah, I understand why Rob's man. Sure, he has a right to be. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, looking back, you know, especially given all that you, you've both gone through, and I mean, obviously that's what the, your whole book and the movie about you is about, Marcus and, and Morgan, you've, been, you've served multiple times and gone through a lot of physical pain lost a lot of guys you deeply love when you see the way it ended you know now that it's it's ended does it change your assessment on whether it was worth it no now, every war ends like this that, uh, this I, is that's this is war i mean it, you look back generations and the ones we came before we're from a military family we were trained up for this we were ready from vietnam korea world war ii all the way back they t- i mean Every every place that america's been and took it over it's always gone back to, to something back to the who, who whose place it was and that part, if you you will literally drive yourself crazy thinking about it in that direction. I would never, I would never put, I would never take away any deployment anybody's ever been on by saying, by thinking that way. No way. Too much knowledge learned. I mean, through the further you travel, the more you learn and the hardships that you take, that teaches us something. It's not that we, we came out of here without anything. Even with pulling people out of Afghanistan, we lost 3,000 plus people in New York City. I mean, I had somebody say that to me. He's like, you know how I know I won? Our body count was lower than theirs. Yeah, so I mean, people will will rationalize it in their head however you want it, man. But ultimately, we're still standing, and we're still moving. Honestly, it's it's not only that; it's the fact that you guys kept us safe here on the homeland for twenty years. You know, we we did not have another attack that looked like yes, they they tried. We had some things in Orlando and elsewhere, but nothing that even came close to the scale of nine eleven, which is what they wanted to do, and they weren't able to do it because of guys like you. I agree. Thank you. Up next, exactly how did their Texas mom and dad raise future warriors, Navy SEALs, kids who love America, and who never give up? That's one minute away. Let's talk about the Latrell brothers. Uh, Born in Houston, fifth generation Texans, identical twins. Morgan, you're older by how many minutes? Seven, which means I'd have been a king back in the old days. (laughs) (laughs) So are you the boss between the two of you? Does that carry weight? Oh, it's still, I'm the big brother. Yeah, it carries weight, even though I'm bigger. <laughs> it's uh, No, that's how our, our family lives. I'm looking at the background and I heard you interview your mom. She said, neither one of you ever had any fear. You're just fearless boys from the beginning, which explains a lot. You hunted, you fished. What is this I see about wrestling alligators? Is that, that bullshit? No, no, it's, that's, that's head to toe. Yeah. Our, our best friend, Trey Baker. Still yeah, our best yeah. friend, Trey Baker and uh, Opie. And a few other guys, uh, we'd go out in Trinity River, which is just up there where we in Huntsville, Texas, where we went to college. And after work or after some late night frivolities, we would go out and get on the airboat. And whoever could bring the biggest uh, gator to the boat, we didn't we didn't keep them. We dive into the river on top of them. Whoever could bring the biggest gator to the boat won. That's that's true statement. 
We haven't had the pods out here too. <laughs> yeah, so our buddy Trey talks about it. It would get interesting it. if you jumped on something a little bit bigger than you could handle, but um, I don't recommend going anything over four feet. Our buddy Trey used to get up to the <laughs> six and eighters, but four, you can kind of handle it. They'll get you though. You better know what, what you're doing. They, what if another one comes along? Yeah, well, you try to sink well, we got them out. in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> try to find one that's by himself. If, that's if good thinking, Miss Megan. The contingencies. Yeah. We like that. I like where your head's at. <laughs> okay, so it's true. You really were set up to, you were born to become Navy SEALs. Um, uh, well. Now, you got a long history of, of military service in your family, right? Your dad, who else served? Dads, grandfathers, uncles, uncles cousins. It goes way back. Okay. So your every mom conflict, comes on your, yeah, on your show. Conflict. You got a podcast called Never Quit. Your mom comes on your show. And I heard an extraordinary moment where it appeared to me you were learning for the first time on the podcast that she had been married to another man before <laughs> your dad. Like, I think I learned it while you were learning it. Is, is that, am I crazy or did that happen? There, you can't believe what we learn about our mother still to this very day. It's a matriarchal family around here. The women run the show, so we don't ask a lot of questions. And definitely when they go to talk in their business, we leave. So there's a lot of stuff we don't know other than the fact she's my mother. She loves me. And I, I think you know. she might have went a little more. There might have been some grumblings yeah, that know. we were we were privy to. But mom has a tendency. You know, she was raised on dirt roads. So she says what she wants to say, no matter what. Country girl. So we're did, we started doing our homework about the young man. But <laughs> she was previously <laughs> married. Okay, so it, he was I a was hockey right. player. Really pretty tough. That dude. happened. That happened. Now, she's talking about when she uh, goes to deliver the two of you in the hospital. And that's the this is you know, back in the seventies, back in a different era, but mm -hmm. she finds out while she's about to deliver you that the doctor says, I think there's two. She grabs mm -hmm. yeah. the guy. She says, she says, two what? <laughs> yeah. Was back in the 1900s. Yeah. Back in the 1900s, <laughs> the 70s, that was a disco era. So uh, a, I, I was a surprise. I came out. Oh, and he I was, was right. Exactly. And I was surprised. Yeah. He was a surprise and they thought I was going to be a, a girl. Is that right? Totally flipped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flipped the script on him. Um, and that you've been spending the rest of your life trying to make up for that, becoming a Navy SEAL. I, right? I, uh, your mom no. said something sure. interesting. She said, in your family and her family, we knew how to raise warriors, good men, good Americans, good people. So how, like you, when you're looking back on your own childhood, how did she do that? Never coddled. Um, but loved us. Loved us very much. It was very, always very proud of us, but, but, but never, there was never an opportunity to be lazy. There was never an opportunity to feel sorry for ourselves. And she she made sure of that. And yeah. she would teach us to do stuff for ourselves. And she's like, hey, look, if to, to a way to a lady's heart, you learn how to dance, cook for her, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. We we grew up on a horse ranch. So she's she she works the ponies, uh, thoroughbreds and quarter horses. So she raised us like that. I mean, she's like, I know they're tough, and it was tough out there. My father, he was just, you know, he's firm hand. So mom kind of did all the raising and, and keeping us in check. And but hope to God it never elevated to our oh, father because he was, man, he was a little bit know, ab abrasive at times. Mm -hmm. She knew that. But dude. if it was if I mean it was 20 degrees outside and snowing, we had to get up every morning feeding water them horses. Or during the summers when we weren't going to school, we had to get up before the sun came up and do the same thing and then paint the barn. But yeah, see, we were always painting something, throwing and throwing hay. It just wasn't a lot of tolerance make, for whiners. No, 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 no opportunity for that. You because, go and whine, but you had to go out and do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. while you're doing it. <laughs> You want to make something out. You want to make a man out of your son. You have him throw hay in the summer in Texas. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. So you you meet a guy down the road when you guys are 14, who I think you know, it's fair to say would have a major influence on your future military career. And you're you're jumping into buds training as 
potential seals. What was the name of this guy? Because as I hear you talk about him, I read about him. This guy sounds a little crazy in a good way. He was. Billy Billy Soupbone Shelton. And tell us about Billy Soupbone Shelton, what he did to you. Uh, He had an understanding, especially back in them days, of what it took to be physically and more importantly, mentally ready because he was around before us i mean we knew who he was when we were young he's kind of stayed away from him right because he's he's scary scary yeah he's about five three but had a attitude and a will of him as a giant and even when he'd come in the field house that the football players just take off running because you hear him when he's screaming boy he's going to yelling at you man just the first time we ever went into the gym i'll never forget this when i walk in he called it dime time i I was the littlest one he's like hey everybody look here comes dime time because I could only have 10-pound weights. That's all I could lift. <laughs> dime time. You remember that? Yeah. And then we would do the workout, and he'd sit there and cuss this man. And I, I, he had laid me down. I was on this uh, bench, and I had a, one of the curl, curl bar. I was trying to do this exercise. And he, the problem was he would get down there ahead of us and do it. And he would yell. He's like, I'm 55 years old. I sit down here, and he just, just boom. And then uh, I remember laying down there, and he picked the bar up and handed it to me, and I – uh, it was too heavy, so it, it fell on me. And I was just kind of laying there. He put two other benches on either side of it, so I couldn't drop the weight. And he walks around. He's training. Everybody comes over. And he stuck. I mean, I'm looking. He stands over the top of me. He looks at him. He's like, man, what, what are you doing? I was like, I can't lift the suit, man. I, I'm too weak. And he looks down. He's like, man, well, I hope you F and die. And walked <laughs> off and left me there. Walked <laughs> off and left me there. And then, then he would throw me out of the gym. And I'll be out there waiting on everybody to get out. I mean, this would go on for months before I could even get the strength to, to finish the workout. He cussed me. I mean, I was the most worthless thing in his eyes. Well, but it, you have to appreciate why what he was doing, because while you were in the moment, either in the gym or he was training us, he was ferocious. But after and before. Oh, I was going to get to that. Okay. Yeah. The minute we'd walk out of there, best father ever loving, just like, hey, we need to eat. You got to do this. You got to clothes. And tell you why. And then, yeah. But what he what he gifted us, unbeknownst to all of just even Mark Snyder and the football team and whomever else he trained, was the mental fortitude that he created. That that most certainly is what gets you through training. Yeah, because most everything that bucks you off of what you're trying to do is something like that. People screaming at you, talking, saying something, taking you out of your comfort zone, taking you out of your comfort zone. So if you can get used to that, coming from something from a man like that, you can handle it from anybody. Billy Superbones. Yeah. So he, we did. he starts whipping you guys into shape and you decide when you become of age that you really are going to do it. You're going to en- enlist in the Navy SEALs. You both do it. You don't go through exactly the same training class because it's just different things with your, your health and your schedules. But um, you're, you're both doing BUDS training at around the same time, I guess. So no, Marcus, um, I had a really bad leg injury and Marcus went in, went ahead and went in. It took me two years to, to get back to where I needed to be. So Marcus had actually graduated. And then I came in. Okay. So is that, so, so when you came in later, Morgan, is, is it, was it Marcus who came to visit you and did one day and you no, 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 Bud's no, training? No, 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 negative. That was, I was a seal. I already had my trial. I would not go back into Buzz as a that was, team guy. That was, oh, that, makes sense. that was me coming to well, see him. I would go over and, and mess with him because I was, <laughs> that was the thing. And I was a medic. I'd, I'd doctor him up at oh, the end of the day. But yes. I was in phase when he came in, he was still in college. And he came oh, that down. must have been fun for you. Oh, that's, um, uh, <laughs> it was a blessing for both of us because I got I had a broken I'd broken my femur and I, I was just at a beat to death and, and uh, I had gotten on a buddy pass to come out the scene right 
and we had come back from we had our whole class ran back from chow and he was standing on the third deck of the building he had a goatee and his sideburns like i said that's college student college student and our class like, hey you know shave your sideburns. come on down here we switch uniforms yep. he, he let out Mar- marcus was late I, and, I, I, and uh his roommate was like hey look man you, you're gonna be dragging that hard why don't you just get your brother to go for you and i mean it, we didn't even say anything he starts taking off the uniform and i started putting it on yeah and they they dry shaved me on the way down to the grinder no and, way oh yeah and did you no, pass was, oh yeah. oh yeah 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 Absolutely. nobody knew i mean it was it was the the i don't know the best way to explain it it's like imagine being able to do something for a day that you've wanted to do all your entire life you mean you just that's what you your dreams of being here and uh you know i just it just happened i don't own a whimsical and so it wasn't like i was like you know go <laughs> because it's terrible there it's, it's hard you know we've been in it yeah, for a no, while you, you, i'm oh, sure we, you appreciated the day off that seems so there you go great point because he never did that for me and <laughs> whatever new guy I feel cheated bud student man i <laughs> This is you know, like if somebody came to me and said, would you like to be Tina Turner's backup dancer for one day? And I would say, hell yes, I do. Oh, yeah. Um, of course. But a little different. OK, so you're l- let me ask you this, because I, I heard you give a speech, Marcus, and I heard you talking about the number of guys who came into the class with you and the number of guys who graduated. Can you can you give us those numbers thereabout? So we started with 168, I think. And then they graduated 10 originals. There's only 10 guys made it through the entire class. How much you have? Wow. So we started out in doc with 250 and we graduated with 27 originals originals yeah. wow it's just a, it's a testament to how hard it is to become a navy seal and it's and you tell me how much of it is mental versus physical 90 10 maybe 95 5 mental yeah, yeah. certainly you can you always don't quit you don't no, quit it's, it's the physical part you can get there if you want it bad enough and it's the it's the mental piece that most that that's what gets most people is that mental anger, just the, the grind that every single second of every single day over and over. It's just so repetitive. And then the mental part, everybody breaks down physically over time. You just do. You just yeah. so you can't do you can can't do more any more push-ups or pull-ups or sit-ups or runs. You just you can't. And that's where and uh, you know, our buddy David Goggins puts it into perspective. He's like, when when your body starts to shut down, you're only you're only into your brain. Yeah, that's like why 20%, you know. Throughout life, you hear mind, body, and spirit. Your body's conditioned. Your mind is conditioned it to anything gets uncomfortable. Your body will haul butt. It'll haul ass out of there so fast. And that's a real thing. Don't even know why. Those are those sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous systems. So as it'll wear our body out to where we can't even move. Well, then they'll go to work on our mind. They'll start doing stuff like that. So then the body gets a break, conditions that. They usually throw us in the ocean to the to the, you know, our mother, right? We just freeze to death out there. And then as we go through this, you beat your body up, your mind gets stronger. Beat your mind up, your body gets stronger. And then when we graduate, your, your spirit comes in because this thing's conditioned to hold it. And it's a, whoever developed the program. That's where hell week comes in. Man, it's to just test your mental. Whatever they, however they fortitude. came up with that is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Anybody Looking can, back at it now that we go through all that, I'm, someone's like, hey, it was just like, man, I wouldn't do that again if you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, little did you know what was actually coming your way. We were going to have quite a few more hell weeks uh, handed down to you, but this is why they put you through it, right? So you're going to have not just the physical training and the military training, but the the spirit training, to to use your term, right? To to, to be able to handle real world. So when I, I, when they but you re- can handle it. That's when, the spirit. When they pulled Marcus, when they first got, when he was first rescued, uh, there, was a, there was a guy with him that gave him a sap phone. And it, like, he called the house. And uh, I answered. I don't know how that happened. There's like 300 people at the house, but I answered. And he's like, hey, I'm here with your brother. You want to talk to him? And I was like, you know, of course. No. I was like, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, 
Tell him to call him when my stories are over. Right. right. Anyway, uh, so we got into it. And he was like, man, had to go through Hell Week again. I was like, yeah, you did, bro. He's like, I made it. <laughs> wow. He's a bit the fact that you could joke about it. But I, I know yeah. having read Marcus's book, you, you guys use humor to sort of diffuse you have to seriously yeah mm-hmm. y'all taught us that yeah. i mean we you know y'all y'all give us these we call that's how we get there everything yeah. is humor yeah so you can i ask you about quitting because i love the navy seal attitude towards and i love how it's just we don't we just don't quit we just you don't you know you it's not part of the navy seal code and we've been talking about this on the show about how more and more in our country we seem to be like not only seeing more quitting but celebration of quitting like Yes, it somehow it was strong to quit and we should celebrate the quitting because, you know, we celebrate, quote, mental health, you know, one took care of oneself. And without singling anybody out, I just feel like to me, it, I object to it because I much rather have my kids have the Marcus and Morgan Luttrell mindset of, no, you, you just don't. It's not an option, not an available option to you. But what do you guys think? Yeah, we believe exactly what you just stated. Well, back wholeheartedly. Up 100%. And it's when. So it's, what's happening to us? Why are we doing that? I, I don't understand it right now. Maybe it's so everybody can be a winner. Yeah. So everybody can be a winner. Or so you don't have to face adversity and be a loser. Wow. I mean, I, we learn more in losing than we ever did in winning. That's just part of it. It's when you, you know you're making progress because you, if you went into it and you just kept going, you would never know if you, if how hard you trained, if it worked out. Those, those, when you hit those resistance marks, that's to let you know how far you went in training. When you hit those big walls, that means you're going, you know, past it. So, they're there for a reason. So, and, like in our in our previous community, you win, 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 and when you get your ass handed to you, I mean, there's no quitting. You can't say, "Oh, hey, look, I'm I'm having a bad day. I, I'm going been. back to the house." There, there, there's none of that. We all lose together as a team, and then we go back and we figure out why we lost, and then we make ourselves even better. Because taking your getting outside your comfort zone and losing that's not a that's not a bad thing. Yeah, you're all. only a loser by yourself. Period. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if the team went down, then then that was a collective. It was just what, it was the way it was supposed to be. Whatever. You can only be a loser by yourself. Yeah, we don't have the opportunity to have the the mental, you know, I was, I, was, I started to become mentally weak. Hell, hell we gets that out of everybody. Yeah, that's, a, that is, that's true. I never you literally that. cannot be laying down and taking fire and going, I, I've never been in this position before. I'm going to go home. That has been, you cannot do yeah, And we don't, we don't, us, that's not something, that's not something the military community does as a whole. You, you don't want to see your dad's last name on one of those helmets by that quit bell. No, no, that, that would never happen. Only way that hel- that helmet would have been under that bell is if our head was in it. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. I mean, I, I think it's because I'm, I'm looking at you two thinking, this is how you build a soldier. This is how you build a seal, right? Like what happened in the Luttrell family that led to these two extraordinary men? And it's, it goes back always, like the military family, um, the never quit attitude, your mom toughening you up, but with love, your dad sort of not tolerating any BS, this guy, Billy Soup Bones, who is, you know, adding another level of, of toughness. And I, and I think we've skipped over an important one, which is love of America. You're you are a patriotic family and you were taught from an early age to love this country, Marcus. You put it in your book to die for any woman and fight beside any man without hesitation or hopes of individual achievement. To love this country, your dad taught you and its people more than you loved yourself. How does, how does he do that? Like, I think a lot of parents out there are saying to themselves, how do I do that right now? You guys are both dads now. How does one teach that? Let them live life. Get the, get out get out there and experience it because there is no living unless you have somebody next to you. 
there is no reality unless there's somebody next to you to base it off of. Otherwise, you're just living in open space. So that it's it's a it's kind of like a step by step process. You only got one day down here. Tomorrow, you don't have any idea if you're gonna see it. Yesterday's gone. That's why we say the only easy day is yesterday. You wake up in the morning, see what you can do. The further you travel away from your day, the further you're traveling away of what you're supposed to be doing. And the day is too heavy. It's like fish get carried by the water, the birds get carried by the air. You're actually supposed to get carried by your day. You're meeting some resistance, you're in the wrong spot. And the people in our lives are, are we, we're talking like stones and we're blades. And they're, they're either going to sharpen you, polish you, or dull you out. If your life starts to get dull, look around you. And people who say they don't love this country or they hate this, that's the town or whatever the, the environment they're living in. I heard something like 50-something percent of all people on the, either the planet or the country don't leave the town they're raised in. So think about that. Hmm. So just change your environment and everything will change. There is literally somebody out here waiting on you to meet you to create a life. And our childhood was, was created. I mean, we loved growing up, man. We had, it was hard, but I mean, it wasn't. When, when people talk about, when they hear us talk about how things are hard, they say, yeah, it was truly, but it was so worth it because of the, the time you're having in it. There's a difference between painful and hard. And we just mm-hmm. had that. We were blessed with it. And then one thing most certainly is Mark's now, nobody ever believed in us. David, especially when we were telling we wouldn't be in the teams. We were little bitty guys. And I mean, I, all the way from, I'll be honest, I'll be truthful. I mean, I was not good in academics. I was not, I was not a smart kid. Uh, most certainly wasn't an athletic kid. We weren't we were small. We didn't play college. We didn't play football. We too small. Played tennis. I was in drama. I was in theater. <laughs> Come on. What's up? Yeah. No, no, no. We're a little bitty guy. <laughs> I don't believe you. Seriously. Uh, yeah, we played tennis. Oh, uh, I, got a, I have a letter. I'm a letterman in, in, in drama. What did you and, star in? Did you did you have like the lead role in any particular no, I played, number? I played the grand. I played the. You're the one with the show. I played the. I played the grandmother. I played the grandmother in the picnic, uh, <laughs> one act play. But anyway, uh, at, there came a point in time where I got tired. We got tired of people calling us stupid. Got tired of people calling us weak, and there came a point in time where there would be, there was absolutely nothing. The more miserable we became in training, and especially when we went into the military, the better off we were. And it was strictly a mindset. And you asked about how do we raise our children? I try to give my sons, I have two sons. I try to lend them perspective of the things that I've seen and done. I have, of course, have to break it down to a four-year-old and eight-year-old level. But I give them relative experience. Why, hey, this is why you don't want to quit. This is why it's okay to fail you fail forward. You know, this is okay. It's okay to have certain things happen to you because we learn from it. We don't run from it. And that not only builds up their physical fortitude, but also their mental fortitude to know, Hey, look, you failed your math test. Hey, we're just come home. Mom, dad, we'll sit here. We will work harder. Hey, can you ace that? And they ace the next one. Now you understand why it takes work to accomplish something. Nothing's free. Nothing's going to be given to you. And I don't care who you are. If you leave out of, when you get out of high school, when you get out of college, nobody's going to be standing there. Everybody's going to be looking to take you down. So we, I think we're failing ourselves at, a, at the younger levels when they get up out and, and as younger adults are like, well, everything's supposed to be given to me. It's not supposed, that's not supposed to be challenging. Yeah, yeah. it is. Most certainly. Is. That's right. Yeah, and then you have to leave it to protect your mental health. Our father, he would tell us, he's like, I'm not your friend. I'm not your friend. I'm your father. And reason being is it, we, we still have the same crew we had when we were boys and we, we do stupid things with our friends. Your kids are the one person you can't be friends with. 
I mean, it talks about that in the Bible. You're not even supposed to like your dad. You got to respect him. He's supposed to keep everything in check. You're loved and beloved by your mom. I probably, he would say, you know, my shoes aren't here for you to walk in. You can, or you can step in them every now and again if you need to. But other than that, I'm going to give you discipline every day of your life. And through discipline, you're going to gain respect. Respect for yourself and respect for other people. The only time you ever lose your respect is when you lose your discipline. You're the only one that can throw that away. And think about it. Break it down to one person on one person. If you try to consider yourself one person on life and, and big, you'll, you'll, you'll break. Same way with war. If we're standing out on a war on a battlefield, and there's a million people standing in front of me and everyone's freaking out. I was like, how are we going to beat this number? I was like, I'm going to beat that dude standing right in front of me. And when I'm done with him, I'm going to go to the next one. You get the guy. To the and that's how we worry about it. And as you go through life, you learn from zero to 40, you have an opinion, 40 to 60 is perspective. And then wisdom, hopefully she'll show up later. But when, when you go through life, you learn from each experience. Imagine each person that you run into is designed to teach you something about yourself, good, bad, or indifferent. And never look at it as a bad day. It's just either hard or we just keep, and it's training. Imagine all of life is training. The minute you are born, you start dying. You come down here to learn how to live while you're dying. So how are you going to do it? And the coolest part about it is it's only one day. You wake up tired the next day. Well, then that's how you came in. And you just keep going. And then you always respect the ones around you because they're the ones that actually give, you know, show you life. Otherwise, it's be an empty place. Up next, Operation Red Wings, Afghanistan, June 2005, and the battle that would become the subject of a best-selling book, of a best-selling movie in which Mark Wahlberg stars as Marcus, and that would change Marcus's and Morgan's life forever. Hearing the one brother talk about what the other brother was going through and vice versa was really extraordinary. And by the way, you should check it out on YouTube because just watching them while the one was speaking was pretty extraordinary. Um, so you can check that out at youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. But I wanted to read this to you from Marcus's book before we, before we get to it. Okay. Just so you, this is who Marcus is. He writes in his book, I'm a U.S. Navy SEAL, team leader, SDV team one, alpha platoon. Like every other SEAL, I'm trained in weapons, demolition, and unarmed combat. I'm a sniper and I'm the platoon medic. But most of all, I'm an American. And when the bell sounds, I will come out fighting for my country and for my teammates if necessary, to the death. And that's not just because the SEALs trained me to do so. It's because I'm willing to do so. I'm a patriot, and I fight with the Lone Star of Texas on my right arm and another Texas flag over my heart. For me, defeat is unthinkable. That's next. It's so fascinating for me to listen to you because I have read your book. I have watched your movie. I've listened to so many interviews you've given, speeches you've given. And just, I mean, I know we've spoken before. You came on the Kelly file for um, back in 2014, Marcus, but just hearing you talk like this, and it, it just explains so much, both of you guys, um, about what happened in Operation Red Wings and how you managed to make it through that and how you've managed to find some joy in your life, notwithstanding that awful experience. And what you witnessed and the loss of your friends. And I know, Morgan, your friends died that day too. Um, it wasn't, wasn't just Marcus's friends. Um, but let's, let's talk about it for a bit, Operation Red Wings, so folks know um, who haven't seen the movie or read the book. It was in Afghanistan. It was June 2005. Uh, first, can I ask you, Morgan, you were not part of this, but where, where were you when, when this happened? I was in Yuma, Arizona. He and I, I, was, he and I did a high five on the tarmac in Afghanistan. And, um, so I was there, he came in and I left and I was in Yuma, Arizona at, um, 
free fall school. Free fall school. Yeah. Hey, okay. Because I, I know that you were both deployed at the same time at one point, but this was not that point. This was follow yeah, after, 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 after Red 2006. Red, yeah. 2006. Okay. I mean, that's just so crazy. After they hear this story, it's like that you went back. Morgan went back. Um, I mean, Marcus went back and then Morgan went back too. I mean, you guys just kept going back. It's crazy. Um, I mean, it's admirable to somebody like me, a civilian. It's crazy. <laughs> it's hard to understand how you keep going back and back and back. Um, so the goal of Operation Red Wings, Marcus, was to to basically target this one guy, right? Ahmad Shah. And yep. what were you supposed to do with respect to this guy, Shah? Uh, reconnaissance in the beginning, then it was a capture, kill, interrogation, follow on mission. Okay. So you found him pretty easily. You, you thought you did, right? The four of you. It was four of you. There was. Oh, oh yeah. We, we they, they inserted us. It took us an, over all night into the morning to track down where they were. But we uh, we got in there. Yeah. We were okay. on target okay. when the whole thing went down. It's you. T- tell us about the you and the three guys you were with. Uh, Michael Murphy was our officer in charge. Matt Axelson, he was our point man, one of our primary snipers. And Danny Dietz was our communicator. And then I was mm-hmm. the medic uh, rear security. That okay. was our. But you had many our, roles, right? You were medic and you were sniper, yeah, yeah, right? Was, Just for those right. of us who are not military people. Correct. Yeah. So Mike Murphy is our officer in charge. Now I, I was kind of, I was rear security, but I was also the, the LPO of the platoon. So that Danny, Danny actually came from a, a different SEAL team and was assigned to us. But SEALs, we kind of, they intermingle us all the time. And when I stepped into Afghanistan, like I said, my brother had left. And when we got there, that was our reconnaissance platform. So they would send us in ahead of the main body. And we'd stay out there for a week, two weeks, whatever it was, just watching everything. And then the main body would come in. I, I know you wrote your book that uh, no SEAL would ever admit to being scared of anything. Whatever we felt that night that you were there, it was not the fear of the enemy. Although I recognize it might have been fear of the unknown because we were really unsure about what we would encounter in the way of terrain. You had terrain and you had weather worries as well. Just set, set the scene for us. That's always the thing with us. When the weather gets bad, the, the more inclement the weather, the, the, the better for us. That's when we're kind of going in. We're, th- this area we, would, we had been in, we had to fast rope in out of the helicopter. Uh, and it started raining on us halfway through it. And we were up in the snow caps now. And it would go from what you think Afghanistan would look like to that shell rock and all that nastiness to look like farmland and beautiful trees. And then you'd be on the side of a mountain. And then you'd, you'd come around and you'd go down into a valley and you'd come back up and it just... It kept opening up and dropping down. Um, it was pretty surreal. I remember we all stopped for a little bit to kind of get our catch our breath and we were looking around. You never see anything like that out there. It's just you could see every star and and it's just it's just different and mm-hmm. it's tough. It took us eight and a half hours to go four kilometers, four miles. You know, I mean, it was brutal. But nevertheless, we we got in, set up shop, and started watching the target that morning. And then a couple hours later is when we got overrun. So the the first sign of trouble was really you ran you run into some goat some goat herders. Yeah, shepherds right? were Herdsmen. walking up there walking the herd and uh, they they kind of walked into our perimeter. Uh, a boy actually in the beginning and um and then two adult males. And the but, question you were faced with was what? What to do with them? What we need to do with them? And we were on target. They they didn't have any firearms or anything like that, but they you could tell when people don't. You understand what you're dealing with when you see it's just like here when you walk into a different neighborhood or into the store you know if there's somebody standing next to you you can be get along with or they, if they hate you just by the way things are going and uh we did our did our thing and ultimately we we, we turned them loose and about an hour and, later is when we got hit and it was a real decision because you didn't you you suspected they would just run back down and tell shah and his guys and the taliban that there's these you know these seals are up there 
It's pretty self-explanatory. It did. It did happen. It happened just the way we thought it would. And it's happened to a couple of other units in the past. We, when we study our military, uh, our history, and and some of the uh, the op wards, that it's that's been the case a few times. So when we we referenced those when we were going through that, uh, and ultimately we we turned them loose. Because the rules of engagement say you're not supposed to kill civilians. God says that too. We just don't do that. I mean, that's that's the way it is. We're not murderers, rapists, re revenge, and robbery. We don't mess around with that stuff. I mean, we are trained professionals. You spend a lot of money and a lot of time honing our skill set, and we, we do it to the best of our ability, for sure. You say in your book that, um, that Murphy, uh, Lieutenant Murphy, put it up for a vote and that you voted to let them go and said, um, you said it was the stupidest, most Southern fried, lame brain decision I ever made in my life. I must have been out of my mind, uh, and that you immediately regretted doing it and thinks that you will regret it for the rest of your life. So how, I mean, I understand what happened after you let them go, but given what you just said about the rules of life, the rules of God, the rules of engagement, how do you square those two? Irony. You don't. That's life. <laughs> I tried to square that. I'd be thinking about it all the time, man. It'd drive me crazy. Mm -hmm. I said mm -hmm. it out loud. And then it, when it happened, you know, then you're like, oh, okay, well then I was, then you just start dealing with it. If it's a problem and you can handle it, then it's not a problem. If it's a problem and you can't handle it, it's not your problem. And everything is good both ways. And then you, there are times when you will get in situations like this and get tested. And that's just kind of the, well, it was our time. That was our path. Knowing, knowing that they did go give you guys up. And I mean, so we think. And the Taliban came back and, and found you. Do you feel like it was the wrong decision? Well, that's splitting hairs, Miss Megan. I know. That's a tough one. Why did you ask me that? Because <laughs> uh, I'm wrestling with it too. Well, uh, answer that one. No, I, I get your point. That's clever. Wow, that was a good question. <laughs> that was good. Did you hear that? that? Of course I did. I'm hanging <laughs> on every word. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Honestly, I I'm not trying to put myself in my brother's shoes or anything else. But you know, you, but he wasn't a father back then. You know, as a child. Or two, I just. I don't think anybody has the ability or the, the right to armchair quarterback. And, and this is one of the most inevitable questions that I always be asked to my brother is like, hey, look, you know, y'all did this. You said this in your book. How do you think now? And I just think just time changes perspective. But, I, yeah. you know, if I was ever in that situation and like five years from now, if I if, if I was in a situation on the mountainside, knowing what happened to my brother and I, I was placed, I was put in that same spot. What would I do? Mm -hmm. No idea because I'm not in that spot right now. Mm -hmm. You just yeah, it's tough to go back with with sure. the knowledge of what happened if and we try to here, second guess the decision. We cannot what if it. Yeah, you raise an interesting point in the book about the the media and their influence. I mean, it's weird to think of like the mainstream media at all in your head in that moment, but it they played a little bit of a role, like the the shaming that they'd done of soldiers, the worry in in sort of the heads of some of the seals about what could happen if they made a wrong move. Can you talk about that? It shouldn't be that hard for y'all to think about it because that's y'all are our voice. Y'all are the ones that are supposed to relay the information from one to, to our people. So they get it. So they can have an understanding of what's going on. And when you shift that in a certain way, always and pushing the narrative in a certain way, when you're not even out there in the field with us, then yeah, we have to think about it. It doesn't bother us or whatever. No, we just have to deal with it. We have to contend with it. It's not something we think about all the time. It's just like with everything else. Y'all are playing that role, the antagonist, making everybody mad about what we're doing. So how do we deal with that? We have to, we have to shift. When in reality, we're over there just to fight a war. But since it shifted like that, we had to contend with, with everything. 
It's kind of like what's happening to cops right now. Yeah, sure. Everyone's had their, just looking back over the years now, everyone's having their deal. It's turned into a political narrative. Yeah. Right. You shouldn't have had to be dealing with that. I know you said that if you don't think these Taliban knew, um, you know, certain behavior to wind them up on the cover of some, you know, liberal media magazine or newspaper in a way that would make the troops look bad. You know, they were aware of it, too. It just raised interesting questions for me about the media covering, whether it's cops or soldiers, and like a higher responsibility to be careful. Most well, certainly. I, I think if you're going to be covering the police officers and however you're reporting on it, put a badge on for a little while. Yeah, you got to run with them. If you're going to be reporting from what they're doing, you no, got I mean, to, literally put a badge. Don't go in there as a reporter. Put a badge on and walk a mile in our shoes or their mm-hmm. shoes. Mm-hmm. And see how challenging it is. Or before you can report on it, you actually had to do that job for a few years. Understand oh, yep. The press is not a courageous group that as a, as a rule that would never happen. Y'all? That's funny because every time I turn the television on, oh, man, y'all act like y'all the baddest things walking <laughs> around. All y'all do is make fun of people, pick on people, and stir up fights. Well, sadly, that's, that's true. You. Although I, I, I am, uh, let me note my objection to the term "y'all" in in this context. <laughs> um, so let's talk about it. I don't want to get too deep into it. I don't, I don't mean, I don't want to make you relive this whole thing, Marcus. I just, I just want the audience to understand, you know, sort of good what you went through. Yeah, and, I don't have to relive it. I lived that. it. It's good. It's always yeah. with me. I'm fine, Miss Megan. Come on with it. All right. Okay. Well, don't you get tell battle me weak, get battle hardened. Now, I got whipped. Yeah. But over time I healed up. And the biggest thing they, that ultimately would happen to me was I got my confidence whipped out of me. They whipped me till I was naked and killed everything around me. And mm-hmm. as I grew, I came back, got around my brothers and my friends. I slowly got it back. And so I learned from that and it made me stronger, not weaker. So you can ask me anything you want. Well, so can you describe Let's talk about Murph. Let's talk about Danny. Let's talk about Axe. Cause you guys were out there thick as thieves, just brothers, brothers in arms, like family, right? Just like family. And how long did the gun battle last? Like from the moment that you let those goat herders go to, like you say, an hour later, the, the bad guy showed later. up. It was from the initial shot to the, to around the, to the lulls and the fires over three hours. The entire time I was out there was about five, six days. I was missing, had me in this hole for about for three days. Because it started in the morning. And then I thought about this in a while. It, it as it, they so systematically picked us apart. I was unconscious for a long time. And then when I came to, I was upside down and uh, I crawled into this crevice and buried myself till the sun went down. And then I just started crawling. And then uh, that lasted all day and the next night. You were outnumbered. What, how, many, how many bad guys were there? So Intel reported anywhere from 80 to 200 before we went to the field. My best guesstimation above me was, was initial was a dozen above our head and then a dozen or so running down each side. You could see them filling in. And then about halfway through the gunfight, reinforcements came up from the village we were watching. They figured out and what you was know going right on. Away, you, you know right away, this is not one... You know, we're going to need to get out of here or to get air support ASAP. No, we we realized that immediately. And we were trying the whole time. Problem was, we were in that in that valley, in that canyon. So and it was in a gunfight. So the only thing in a gunfight is gun or fire, excuse me, bullets back down range. And then you deal with everything. And um, there was just never a lull to where we could get that. And we tried to make gun, it wouldn't go out. Perfect storm kind of thing. What it was. Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't get your comms up, and so you couldn't couldn't get the backup you not, needed. Not even until the next day. The, the The hard part was as I was crawling through the night, I would I would ping my my emergency radio. I didn't know this until years later, but they were actually 
y'all, the military was actually seeing that. But by the time they got there, I'd already crawled off because they'd, I'd been walked on and they almost found me. So I just kept going. I could have saved myself a lot of pain if I stayed in one spot, but I didn't just kept moving. Right. Well, the, the, the account of, of the heroics of the guys who you were with and of yourself are heartrending. I mean, you write about Lieutenant Michael Murphy or Murph, as you say, command control. And, and you say, if they built a memorial to him as high as the Empire State Building, it would never be high enough for me. This guy was shot up. He knew the risk. He understood what was going to happen to him if he put himself out from from undercover. But he had to do it to try to get that phone call, right? To get try to get that phone call to get the backup. Can you talk about that moment, Marcus? The best way to put it into perspective, when, when y'all get to see war, you watch it on TV. And even when you're watching war on TV, you get excited. And when we win, you get excited. It's just like you're watching any other thing on, on, on television. And especially when you know them and, and you're, you can relate to them. And, and when you, when you, there's levels of when men start to killing each other. And the more intense it gets, the, the more violent it gets. And uh, to, there was a point in time when things start, when everything starts shedding off. You're like, how are we getting to this point, to this point, to this point? And through every military engagement, when you, when you hear about it, you're like, man, how did you guys live through that? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how we got through that. It's like your body takes it just over that muscle memory. And that's kind of the way we're trained. It's just that muscle memory, move, shoot, communicate, keep going, keep going. And then you see something like that, knowing when we get separated and sitting here today, that's, that's the whole reason I got out of there. It's because he did that. Whole reason all of us got out of there. Y'all wouldn't have known about it. I'm so thankful that he did that. I, I, I make sure I get out and live my life the best I can every day with a smile on my face. Not to begrudge the fact that that went down like that. Because that's what we were there for. We talked about that. that you understand that's it's just like with anything else in your profession, when you go in to do it, you're going to do it well. Don't, don't be mad or, or be upset the fact that we did that. The loss is one thing, yeah. But all y'all know that when we go into that. And to, to, to even come off of that kind of motivation an inch with me would, would, would tear me down. So online, it's always the, the, the best, the positive, the, the, what, what we were there for. Never, it's like, there, oh, I can't, can't, can't there's do no, it. There's no, there's no way he didn't know what was going to happen to him if he, if he got, went out into the, into the open like that to make oh, that sure. call. He was, he was shot up anyways before he went out there. Yeah. I mean, I, not to get too graphic, they didn't put all that in, in the movie, how bad it really was. We let that out for the families. But, you know. That's all I have to say about that, I guess. Well, I know you described it as an act of supreme valor. He, he did that for all of you uh, and to try to save your lives and, and his life. And, but he knew what was going to happen. Sure. And, and ultimately. might do something so magnificent. You're like, wow, like jaw dropping in the middle of a moment. Like in the middle of all that, you see some stuff go down. You're like, wow, that was awesome. I hope I remember that. Is that right? Did you, did you have that feeling in the moment? Yeah. There's those elevation moments. Okay, you, you know when they have, they, I mean, ask anybody when they're out there. Yeah, you fight long enough, you have them. And I guess it's the, mm-hmm. mind, the mind's way of breaking that so you don't break. And I, I, you know, I, I can't say that I was trained for it or anything like that. I would just pick it up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the guys see that. You know, they, they, what's, they crazy, what's crazy about it is when you read the story, it, it seems like each one of you guys had one of these moments. You know, I mean, I don't know these guys. You, you, I didn't know them, but I read about Danny Dietz. And you talk about how he'd been providing the covering fire all afternoon. He was desperately wounded. He kept firing no matter what happened, no matter how many bullets they fired into him. 
he just he just never stopped firing and trying to protect you guys until he until he was dead. I think he was so upset they shot his thumb off his hand. Uh, he was a community that calm guy had a radio in his hand, and they he got. I mean, that was the first injury I had to I, I treated out there. He was the first one. I remember he came up, and the fight had been on for a little while. I didn't know he was shot. He was just mad. You know, he kind of had that look on his face. I was like, "What's up, bro?" And he put he had put his hand up, and I was like, "Whoa." <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. It's like a, <laughs> I was like, how'd that happen? You know, in the middle of a gunfight, I know how it happened, but I mean, you know, you ask for the little detailed things. You're like, man, I was just sitting there. And that, in that moment, there's a little, I was like, well, you know, all right, here. And then we, we, we kept moving. And then I miss that guy. I forgot about that. I mean, you talk about how he died in your arms. Your heart yeah, I, broke. Yeah. And you left him with God. That I'm, I can't imagine because I know in, in the book and the movie make clear, no matter who died, no matter who stopped fighting because of the bullets, you kept trying to go back to get them. Like it, that's one of the things that stood out to me. You kept trying to go back to get them, even when you, you, you must have known there was no hope. Always hope. Always. And it's more of a thing I'm trying to get back with them because it's like a safety blanket. Uh, you're looking at it from the wrong lens. You, you need to look at it from as I get the back together. We're stronger. It's not like trying to get them out of there too. That, 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 that obviously happened, but there, there's a, it's, it's hard to explain. You got anything on that, bro? I mean, it's kind of like a, hey, no, I wasn't there and I would never try to, no, I, I didn't mean it like that. Thanks for the backup. Well, anyway. To me, it speaks to not only the bond between the seals, but like you guys tell me as twin brothers who love each other so deeply, how does that, how does the bond compare, right? When you go out there and you're fighting next to these guys, well, how does that bond compare to the one you share as actual family brothers? Exactly the same. That words don't even do it justice. Yeah, you understand, I mean, what they mm. put us through and what we come out on the other side is completely different than anything else walking around here. That's why we always it's, call ourselves brothers. Bro, yeah, man, it's a, that's just a word we have to use so y'all will know. But it's... I don't think there's a... I don't think there's a word that you could articulate. Them. I'm talking about going into hell for... for yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, time well and you and you morgan during all of this so you you find out that this has gone down it's, there's been some sort of a fight and that they can't find marcus i i, I would be remiss not to mention so I, was, I was literally freaking out the whole time he was going to do something dumb you want to know what happened <laughs> worked up is that my brother i was i remember when they when the village found me too i was like hey bro I am right here. <laughs> right. Because you, your family didn't know that you, you were alive. Axe was also killed, who I understand was your, one of your best friends. You, you too, Morgan, Morgan's best friend. And, and, uh, and so you were obviously the lone survivor, hence the name of the movie in the, in the book and so on. You wound up getting found by, by a villager. He, he helped give you shelter. You got word back to the military base. And, um, and amazingly, they came back and got you. I, I, of course, a, a helicopter had gone down in an attempt to rescue you as well. And uh, SEAL Team 6, eight SEALs, eight Army Special Ops were killed as well. One of the many tragedies about this story. But while it's all going down and while Marcus is missing, what are you being told, Morgan? Morgan? You, you were already back at the ranch in Texas? I was. I was. Uh, I, I, so when the 20, on the, on the actual, on, on the 28th, I was still at free fall school and we were two days out of graduation, I think two days from graduation. And I had not been reached out to from the command, David Goggins, who was at, who was with me at, at, at jump school. He came in, he, he came in, he's like, Hey, there's, there's something happening in Afghanistan. 
have you heard anything? I was like, no, I haven't. And then the next day he comes in, he's like, Hey, there's a, there's a helicopter that went down and there's some seals that were killed. How have you heard anything about your brother? And I was like, that's exactly what I said to him. I was like, and I don't feel anything. So he's fine. And wow. we graduated shortly thereafter. And I, and I got in, in my rental car and I was headed back to San Diego to get on a flight to go back to Hawaii. There's no cell phone service out in, out in Yuma. And when I got into range where my phone just started voicemail after voicemail. And then the first one was a, a buddy of ours. And, uh, he's like, hang up and call me. That's what he said. So I did. And he went into the story of, Hey, <clears throat> this is what's going down. I was like, well, what about bro? And he's like, well, he's MIA presumed KIA. And that's two, a two hour plus drive from Yuma to San Diego. So that's a pretty long drive by myself. I can't believe I didn't get pulled over. I was doing about 110. And so when I got to the command, they, they had everybody was there. I mean, everybody knew everything it was well, as much as they could know at this particular time. So they rounded me up and I called the house. And when my father answered the phone, he's like, am I, will I be expecting a, someone to show up on the doorstep in, in a uniform? And I was like, if anybody shows up, dad, it'll be me. And uh, unfortunately I had to show up that night. We got there about two, three o'clock in the morning, if I remember correctly. And from there it was. What, what was the news at that point that KIA or MIA, but did they, did they know that, that Danny and and no Murph. that particular point okay. they only knew about the helicopter they didn't know we were on the ground yeah okay. that was that was the problem the only, the only one I knew <laughs> yeah the only one I knew about was the helicopter and they had they the only the only individuals that knew about the boots on the ground were of course myself and all my teammates that ended up coming out there with me at the ranch and in the in the in the community but not the civilian population per se and then that started so, to trickle so out. Well, so for how many days were you at the ranch with your mom and with, you know, your neighbors waiting for word? So the 29th and we got the word on July 3rd, if I remember mm -hmm. correctly. And we had had a secured line brought out to the house the day that we showed up. So we could get reports from higher on or updates. And it was twice a day. And it was a, a roller coaster ride. Because day into night, and as days went on, more and more, and then they they found they found Mikey, and they found Danny, and I had people coming in telling me, "Hey, look, you know." By myself, they're like, "Hey, look, we the, the words out, you, you know, brother didn't make it out." And the whole time, I was like, "Look, my brother's out there. You better you either y'all send somebody to find him, or I'm gonna go myself." Because I was always trying to get back over there. I was like, "I know I can find my brother. I know exactly where he'll be. I know what he'll be doing." Of course, that didn't work out well. Like, now you got to stay here with your family. I was like, okay. So um, at any given time, there was anywhere from 60 to 300 people at our ranch. And those phone calls were just devastating. And they were good and bad, right? No no news is good news is something they kept saying. And then if I'm fairly certain, it was the morning call. And uh, Master, Chief, Master Chief Gothrow was out there. And he's the one that would answer the phone. And by this time, there's anywhere there's about 40 seals out there and we would all pile into my father's bedroom, which was little bitty and shoulder to shoulder and mass chiefs on the phone. He's like, yes, sir. Roger that. Understood. Roger that. Yes, sir. And he dropped his head. And I mean, we lost it. Right. We, we was like, Oh my God, you know, the worst case scenario. And I'm sitting there staring at him. Everybody was crying around. I was in there staring at him and he, 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 he gives us a thumbs up. Oh my God. And Oh Yeah. What a son of a bitch. I know, right? God, I my mom, like, passed out and everything. So everybody in the room's crying. 
Which and, this guy's great, though, by the way. Gallagher, oh, yeah, no, no. He's awesome. Yeah, man, he's man. large. Yeah, he's, we love him to death. I mean, he's just, uh, anyhow, my parents came walking in. And then some of my best friends came walking in. They saw everybody else crying. Mom loses it. Dad loses it. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, they, they, they found him. He's rescued. So um, I mean, I don't remember who it was. Walked out to the crowd and said they found him. And I mean, it sounded like the Super Bowl. Like I could hear it from Afghanistan. So all the, but the problem with that was all the, all my friends and family were celebrating the fact that we found my brother, but all the SEALs that were out there and all the other, and there were some Marines and Army and everybody just started to come out and, and spend time with us. We were still very stoic because we're down, we're down men, you know? Yeah. So we kind of, we huddled up and everybody was celebrating that they found Marcus, but the rest of us were, you know, Hey, look, we're, we're still down. So we're, we're, we're praying and we're doing what we need to do to stay on, stay on target, if you will. And then it was a few days later that they, um, obviously they found X. I don't remember exactly how many. And that was weeks later. I thought it was, it was, well, if it was, two weeks, but anyways, it was a, it was a stretch and that was really hard because we just, you know, we were still trying to get the reports up, down, up, down until the last man was out. But uh, it was good. Yeah, so to we know, had to go back in there and get them. It was good to know that, that my brother had been rescued. Can you, can you tell me, Morgan, um, I, I read in, in Marcus's book that, that, that you guys um, saying God bless America. Oh, yeah. Oh, so the pastors were coming out. I mean, there was a, so we had a chaplain that, that stayed with us from day one. I had a chaplain that, that, that flew with me out to um, out to the ranch. Vaughn, right? Amongst us, some other folks. Made mo. <laughs> made made ten mo. acres with a push, push mower. Anyway, there's uh, my there's mom for you right there. So we're very That's spiritual. Sure yeah, we're a very spirit, spiritual, patriotic family, and my mother was very good about keeping us front sight focused on other things besides what was going on. And yeah, so there was prayers, there was singing, there was a lot going on. Matter of fact, if, if funny story. I don't know if this has been out. Um, maybe day three, my mom's first thing, son's coming up, and she's barking orders at all the team guys and everyone else that's around is sleeping in the yard sleeping in their trucks y'all boys get up we gotta you know we gotta we gotta mend these fences we gotta cut that room. y'all we're out here we're gonna put you to work <laughs> and she was kind of getting a little aggressive with everybody and i'm standing on the porch with four or five of my, my teammates beside me and i said mama why don't you calm down a little bit and she slapped me in the face in front of everybody oh, God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's like, I'm your mother. Don't you ever talk to me like that? And I was like, Yes, ma'am. The looks on them some bitches' face stand next to me. I tell you what, dude, I was you 32 years to... old. Oh no, no, I was uh, 29 years old. I was 29 years old. Combat veteran. Combat veteran. <laughs> and she slapped me in front oh, of everybody. Mom, jerking, not her she don't you ever so talk fast. to me like that? And I was like, Yes, ma'am. Apologize. <laughs> and uh, I tell you what, everybody went to work. Yeah, yeah. But that was her way. She was the rock out there. But you never, she never cried except for when she walked in the end of that phone call. Uh, but she she was very, yeah, very stern, very stoic, very, oh. yeah, yeah, a matriarch that she kept her mind busy by putting all the her other sons to work, if you will. Yeah. That's how she looked at everybody, and that boy they abided by that. I I have to tell you I love that because this this is from your book. It really got me. And you say um, immediately this is after they they gave him the good news. Immediately they raised the flag and the stars and stripes fluttered in the hot breeze. And then the seals linked arms with my family and my friends. Oh, I'm getting emotional. And my neighbors, people who they might never see again, but to whom they were now irrevocably joined for all the days of their lives. I mm -hmm. was alive. I guess that's all it took. And all these amazing guys with hearts as wide as the Texas prairies burst suddenly into song. 
God Bless America land mm-hmm. that I love. I just, it's such a moment. I don't know, Marcus, when you heard about that. So they, they wrote me letters. That. They would write me letters. And I got, when I was in the hospital, I, I got to read them. When he was talking about, then you could hear them screaming from Afghanistan, people sleeping in horse trailers. Like two of our buddies, all they did was work the barbecue pit, slept yeah. in, and uh, Gabe and, yeah, the yeah, tallest brother, yeah, Jason tallest. Tallest. And just slept in those old school lawn chairs, right? Hot. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. right. hot. It's June hot. in Texas. July, June, hot. July. And all, yeah, June, July. Uh, into, yeah, into when he came. They did not leave. No, I was away for a while. I was in the hospital. So I, uh, I didn't get home for a while. Oh, yeah. So so can we get to that? Because that, that's actually something that's really amazing about your story, too. You, we, we got to talk about this because this is like, I'm picking the, the things that really made me like feel something, something other than total despair. Um, and it was, first of all, you come off, you get off at, at Bagram, you get back to back to Bagram and you see the nurse, the nurse gets a look at you who had seen you before you went off. And she takes one look at you and just describe the con- the condition you were in and what the nurse did. I guess I was, there was this one lady when they transferred me from the, the Hilo to this, to a C-130 fixed wing aircraft on, on a different base. I think it was JBAD. They laid me down. It was just an open plane. There was a gurney laid down on the ground and, and I, I was like, sweet, my own plane. <laughs> First class. Yeah, First right. class. What's up? And I remember laying down and um, this doctor, an angel straight from heaven, she leaned over the top of me. She's like, baby, are you in pain? And then my first reaction was like, no, ma'am, I'm good. <laughs> strong. And I was like a little bit. And she juiced me up. I never touched anything before. I never messed around with drugs. And then I, I, I was like, she's my new favorite person. And she started just talking to me. Like I never, I hadn't heard English. I was like, man. And, and she started, she's like, I'm, I'm, I'm here to take your pain away. I was like, oh, okay. Great. And there's another guy. There's this other guy. He was great. I didn't even get his name. He had a, he had a, all I remember is I still have his hat too. It had an American flag on it. And he took it off his head and put it on mine. He's like, you earned that. And I was like, thank you. Well, they went to cutting my clothes off of me. And the only thing that really made it was this, this is a random story, but I had these uh, Under Armour tri shorts on. And that was a big deal when we got issued those. And they cut those off of me. And I, and this happened to another buddy of mine as well. So when I started, when the plane landed and the ramp dropped, I like, how do you want to leave out here? You want us to gurney out here? I was like, nah, man, just help me. Just pick me up. Let me kind of. I said IV bags on my neck. I remember that. And they were kind of strutting me down. And I looked kind of off the corner and there was this, I remember this one lady, she, she started, she just covered her face and walked away. I guess I looked worse than I thought. I, I thought I looked pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, um, man, they broke a lot of bones, broke your back. Yes, ma'am. I, shot. But, um, uh, they took care of me. Office. Yeah, man. They put me back together. <laughs> so good. Yeah, oh yeah. I got a cheeseburger from Burger King. We were driving back and they're like, you want anything? I was like, man, I, I love a cheeseburger. And I got one bite <laughs> out of that and I got sick. I remember because I hadn't eaten anything in forever. And it was just, I was so sick yeah. on the inside. I, got, I caught all this stuff. I was laying on the ground bleeding and that was bacteria got inside of me. But, uh, uh, oh my gosh. I mean, amazingly, you know, for whatever reason, you, you made it out of there. You know, you, you, you weren't shot to death in that gun battle. And you did get the help of this this Afghan guy named Mohammed Gulab Khan who helped you and gave you a place to stay and took care of you for a few days while, until the, our guys could come get you. He got a note to them and they came back to get you. I don't know, Marcus, I'm sure you've given some thought to this, but do you ever, do you ever think like, why, why, why did I live? Like, why me? What does it mean? What am I meant to do now? Absolutely. I mean, you go through those, okay. Um, you should ask yourself that question. 
I was like, why, why? And then I started looking and I just started doing the best I could. Earning the right I have to be alive was granted to me by y'all. Y'all came and got me. And I remember that. I kind of got borrowed time thing, but with, with incentive. Every time we would go out and, and we would get busted up, no matter how hard we broke our body, both of them, you know, helicopter crashes, helicopters crash around me. I fall down a mountain, you know, he drowns, it's whatever. But every time y'all bring us back to life and put us back together, we go back out happier and stronger uh, with those memories uh, mm -hmm. to remind us of, of how, 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 where we come from. Y'all never gave up on me, on us. Y'all never did, never gave up, ever. And I, it, it just, every single day, it just gets stronger and stronger, that appetite we have for going out and doing more. It really does. Mm -hmm. Your brother did it too. I mean, you're, you... You were in a helicopter that went down, right, Morgan? That, that was back stateside on a, on, a, on a training mission, as I understand it. And you you also, typical twin. I was in the hospital when that back. happened. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. so crazy. I hear these stories. My I'm like, your poor mom. Yes, actually, exactly. Same thing. It's funny because I, I broke the exact same vertebrae he did. Oh, come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. T9, 10, 11, 12, L3, and 4. I sat up in bed tonight. I was like, what? <laughs> and they were like, hey, you no. got to get up brothers in a helicopter yeah. crash yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely so that is that true for you guys like you can feel when something's going on with the other one? Oh yeah that's been a thing for that's us thing for, for a long time um wow. and they were like hey you got to get up here and i co i finally made it up there i could run down he, he was in that he had they put him in the mri tube so i walked down there to, to, to be with him but he couldn't get the tube because he had the hiccups they had given him pain meds that gave him hiccups you might have i'm, I'm allergic I'm a, yeah i'm allergic to opioids thank god it broke his back <laughs> pelvis, and then, so they gave him hiccups for that. And then they, so he couldn't get into the MRI tube. So we're both sitting in the, in the lobby in the basement of this hospital. Excuse me, just that was a pretty somber moment. I think we had a blast, though. <laughs> I bet, like, you kept redeploying, and I, I, I understand it now. Talking to you guys, how much you love being seals, and how much you you love serving the country. This is like what you were born to do. But it's it's to the outside person, just amazing. And, and I, it, it leads me to tell me, Marcus, is this a seal credo? Um, it's in your book, the seal philosophy. I will never quit the sort of the paragraph and I will never quit. Is that, does every seal take like an oath to that extent? Yeah. 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 Do you, do you know that? Can you like, do you know it by heart? One of them deals where that, the, the guys who we actually know the guys who wrote that and the, the, the powers that be, they kind of had like a, like a, a round table and they brought one, I think the one rank, right? One rank, one person from each rank and then some mass chiefs and some officers and they all sat down and wrote that. And um, it sums it up our life. I thrive on adversity. When knocked down, I'll get back up every time. You know, I, never out of the my, fight. My country expects <laughs> me to be mentally tougher and harder than everybody else. Than my enemy. I thrive on adversity. I mean, so many parts of that, when it comes into it, you just like at any given time, it reminds you. It's also a reminder of what y'all gave to us. You, you said that you see how much fun we have and, and just the, the joy we have in being Navy SEALs and serving the country. It is. I mean, boil it down to if this is one big high school or one big house, y'all let us go do that. We get to have that kind of travel the world and, and, and see everything. That's why it's so hard to get in. And that's why we die. But the life y'all grant us is something. I mean, it was thank you. I get just thank you. Know you know what? It's amazing that you say that. I, you, you spoke at the Republican National Convention in 16, and I, I listened and I was like, listen to what he's saying, this American hero. You said, America will always be worth fighting for. And it was my greatest honor to fight for her every day of my adult life. I wanted to come up here and thank 
each and every one of you from the bottom of my heart for allowing me to serve you for 20 years. You went on to say you were going to spend the rest of your life trying to make it up to America. Like I, I, that mindset of service, of gratitude, of love of country, Marcus, it's the reason everybody loves you and you too, Morgan. It's that is inspirational. That's the kind of thing we, we want our kids to wake up thinking every day that, that you're thanking us. What are you thanking us for? We're the ones who need to thank you. We're the ones who have that's, nothing that's but gratitude like, that's and love don't for you. Like, how much fun we have. And it's hell. I mean, it's hell getting this respect from y'all. Imagine that. If y'all are the most, the most respected nation, the, most, the strongest, most powerful thing to ever be down here. I mean, take away the countries. We're all earthlings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody fighting and going back and forth with this. But then this place exists to give us a life like this. And every day we get into it, it just keeps getting better and better. And, you know, I, I think brother has a perspective that most and I wouldn't wish what happened to him on anybody, but maybe the perspective of he had all that taken away from him. I mean, yeah, he, put he, me in he, hell. I, I didn't like that too alone. Much. And just when, yeah, you have so you don't have anything, nothing, zero. And everyone around you is trying to kill you. And then your country comes back and gets you. Those are those Rangers that came out and saved him and, and brought him back, you know, and, and then everybody was so welcoming when he got home. Hell yeah, he's going to say what he says. I mean, we all should. I, I don't even go out of the house very much because people try to do something for me. I'm like, I, <laughs> I'll have my brother step into the breach now. This is the best part now that we're twins. We're going to have fun with this. Don't leave me now. We got more coming up in 60 seconds. You got your brother, you got your mom, you got your wife. We should, can we spend a minute on Melanie? How lucky are you? Pretty lucky. Oh, well, I'm, <laughs> that's a whole extremely, different, yeah. Extremely lucky. I, she's just having a bad day or something when I come stumbling in there. I actually tell people because <laughs> my brother met his wife at our wedding. He married her best friend. Yeah. Oh, oh no I, way. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They live right across. Leslie? The mm -hmm. Leslie. Yeah. They're best friends. And um, I tell people, like, hey, we're not the SEALs. They are. Like my brother and I had to go through every ounce of pain and everything we had to go through just to earn the right to stand next to them because of whatever, however special they are. And they are, they had to have one of us. And that's how I always look at it. She's why they I don't are, even have, they are very, very to to tolerant it. women. Women. Oh, I told her that. Last <laughs> tolerant. Time. Thank you so much for understanding. Can I tell you? So I, I've spoken with Melanie a bit. I know her a bit and I'm in awe. The kind of woman who is strong enough and sensitive enough and smart enough to protect and be a partner to a man like Marcus Luttrell is the kind of woman I aspire to be. Um, I'm, it's no accident you found each other. That's how I feel, talking to both of you. Do you feel that way? Yeah, we met on a blind date. I asked her to marry me that night. I knew she was the Come one. Come on. Yep. For our, we were zero to 40, no wife, no kids. We were married to, to y'all, to that life. And we had a lot of fun taking y'all to settling down with one went in the, in the, in the but I, when I saw her, I knew something shifted in me. Mm -hmm. And I tell people this too, you young bucks pay attention. When you meet a woman for a first time, she's going to drag one or two guys out of you. You're either going to want to go out and show off and show your buddies, like, look at this. Or you're going to want to go home and watch the notebook and, and just be the wrong. <laughs> if both, both of those emotions show up when you meet her, then that's the one. And I was like, she's yeah. my complete opposite. She, and she can control those vibes. And I, I'm not even the alpha. My brother's the alpha. You talk about a saint, my brother's wife. And there's a reason why those two grew up together, apparently, because they had to de deal with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, little did they know what the future held. 
Yeah, it was. A, that's a lot. I, it's, it's a. I, I've heard it's a lot. Too. We were. We were. I was in the ready. I was deployed, and a buddy of mine, one of my teammates, who has proximity to the family, we were jocking up, walking out, and he was like, "Hey, man, I heard your brother got married." I'll never forget this. I said, "What?" Neither will Melanie. What? He's like, "Yeah, I heard your brother got married. Congratulations!" I ran fully jocked up, ready to roll. I was like, "Everybody, hold on!" I ran across. Stop the op. Okay, we went. Well, we hadn't left yet. <laughs> I ran across base to grab the sat phone and called him. And uh, most certainly it was, a. I was, was on, <laughs> I was on send. He was on receipt. It was a one-way conversation. And I was like, the only words I want to hear out of your mouth are yes or no. And he's like, no. And I was like, and I hung up. I, hung up. I was at the, I was at the, <laughs> what was the truth? No, hey, no, 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 I wasn't married no, yet. No, no, oh, okay. Ask her to make, I wasn't allowed to get married until he got home. I, she, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a gauntlet that you have process to go through. That the girlfriends have to go just um, like I, I actually walked Melanie over to Marcus and no, he, I didn't propose. I was just on the knee. He did all the time. Yeah, and, and here's the <laughs> ring. Well, yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a big deal for us. So he was, We made that very clear when we were young that, that this was going to be, I, I was on was the T box and, and Melanie answered my phone. It was him. And she's like, put my brother on the phone. <laughs> oh, oh man. She's like, I think something happened. And um, <laughs> I'm standing with my right, my, armor helmet rifle everything the first time they met was at the white house was uh gulab was there uh, what? Mel- uh oh, oh yeah, is yeah, this, yeah is this when you went marcus when you were when you were given no the, no completely the different time just for awarded? i don't know while, while we were while we were, oh, while we, while while we were there i don't even remember while we were there but we were in the white house for some reason and uh that's that's when they met i had just gotten back from deployment yeah. yeah she wouldn't come out of her hotel room yeah she was scared to death and i said why, and, why uh, was that she was scared, she was scared of me <laughs> And uh, I was knocking on the door. I was like, "The only way this is going to go forward because she wanted to be hang- well, she wanted to be happy about the fact that I would, was going to be married. You know, that whole thing. Not that he's mean. We well, don't- she wanted his approval. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Mark yes. is like, "Hey, this is the one. This is the one I've been waiting for." I was like, "Well, we'll see about that." Yeah. <laughs> Do you think? Did you feel like you had a veto right, Morgan? Absolutely. Oh man, I always have. Yeah. Every girlfriend and everyone by the wayside. Absolutely. Absolutely, always have. But that goes both ways. But was nah. what, did anybody did soup bones approve? Everybody, everybody did. from the moment they you know, all you have to do is meet. Do you think I'm bad? Our mother, boy, she's hard. Yeah, she's hard on the ladies. And then um, there's there's a few of the aunts and, and the godmothers that were real overbearing, real protective of us. And, and we have so we have a couple of young ladies that we grew up with our whole lives that had they um you know they had something to say about that. <laughs> had to make sure that the <laughs> Melanie and Leslie were worthy. Never you know till till like hey I'm getting married and they're like whoa we'll just see about <laughs> that. Hang on, soda boats. Bust down. Yeah. Um, so wait, listen. I can't let this wrap without asking you about what you're doing right now, Morgan, because you're taking all this wisdom, right? Or let's say perspective, because you're still in the 40 to 60 mark. If we go by Marcus's phases of life, you're, you're taking all this perspective, and you're going to do something that we all need you to do. And frankly, Marcus, you should do it too. Um, and that is, you're running for office. You're trying to get a seat. For some reason, you want to be what AOC is. <laughs> Even though you're 10 times the person she is. Um, But for the rest of us, uh, y'all, I speak on behalf of y'all, we thank you. So what's making you throw your hat hat into the congressional, the the politics ring? Uh, Yes, ma'am. Most certainly out of necessity. More than, I don't want to. I'll be brutally honest. I I never wanted to run for a congressional seat and most certainly probably still don't. I don't want to, you know, if you ask me why that would be, and if I could break it down and peel the onion back, you know, I don't want to expose my, my I don't expose the family to this, my kids, to this, the, the, the length that I'll have to be away. And then 
my wife and I and Marcus and the family came together and like, this is most certainly a move out of necessity to bring perspective to Congress and try to bring our country back to center. You know, it breaks my heart, the divisiveness after serving over, overseas in multiple countries. And yeah, I don't come home to that. I don't want to come home to that. And the things that are happening in our country right now, I, I've seen before, and I, I want to be a part of the problem-solving machine. And I think my, my background and my pedigree and my resume, if you will, lends perspective to something that, we can, that I can use to, to do just that. That's such a, that's so, can I ask you, because that's so well put. And I, uh, when I, before I talked to you, I was like, well, I know he's a Republican and I just assumed you'd be, you know, firmly on the right. Um, is that how you would describe yourself? You sound more conciliatory toward, you know, working across the aisle. I don't know. You describe it. No, ma'am. I'm, I'm very much a conservative Republican. I am through and through wholeheartedly. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that there can't be a sweet spot between the two that we can't coalesce right now. I think every, every time you see our, our elected leaders on either media or in public, they're just, they're so far apart. Yeah. And I try to put it into perspective, like I, uh, army Rangers, I just, they make my skin crawl. I can't say army Rangers. I just, it's just a thing. They're just so opposite of what team guys are. Army Rangers saved my brother's life and I love them to death wholeheartedly. And I respect everything they do. I, I respect their perspective. And no, I am I am a very conservative man. I'm very and I'm, I'm proud to be a Republican and most certainly proud to be a Texan. But at the end of the day, Rangers' tactics, techniques, and procedures are different than mine as a frogman. But at the end of the day, when we're out on the battlefield together, there's only one mission. And the success of that mission, it has to come from both sides. And America is, is my mission now. And I have to, you have to understand. And if we just keep going off the rails on both sides, we'll never bring this country back to what it needs to be and supposed to be. And that's some place that everybody can live in harmony <laughs> and agree to disagree. It's almost as if nobody in politics has, is married. All, I don't agree with my <laughs> wife a lot, but we live and coalesce very, very well. I mean, it's, it's uh, it's ultimately with him, it's service. I mean, you, you boil that down. Those guys that don't want to go, we didn't want to go to war, but when we go in, we're going to do it effectively and to the best of our ability. And when, back in the day when, George, when this country was founded, George Washington said it's not supposed to be any political parties because parties play out. It's like going to a house party. You can go to it and go to it, but eventually, man, you're going to get tired of it. People get mean. My grandmother used to call it being ugly. And the best way I try to describe it is like, imagine if the United States one big house President and the first lady, that's mom and dad, senators, aunts and uncles, and we're the cousins, everybody else running out here. You ever, ever hung out with anybody who's a child of divorce? Like one parent likes to throw a lot of money at you, keep you quiet, and then the other one tries to get you to follow the rules and do some stuff. We're going to be doing that. That's kind of what you see up there. Like every time we shift from a D to an R, it's like throw it in drive, haul ass, throw it in reverse, and then stop or, or, or whatever. And then it's to the point now where I didn't get anything done. Man, we live in the same house. I don't get along with some of my uncles, but I love seeing them on the holidays because they're just different and weird. And, that, and that's, that's the spice of this place. That's why there's 50 states, 50 different states of people, and we all had to learn to live together. And the, the, the worst thing that, that I, I see, man, for whatever reason, the baby boomers do not like each other. Man, they're war, they're just all that, man. They're always just yelling at each other, and they say this. And you got to know anything coming out of there is the worst scenario possible for both sides. With us, man, we cut through all that. I don't have time to deal with that. 
if you're a popular politician, you're in the wrong business, man. They're supposed to hate you guys because y'all talk about the stuff nobody, you got to get it done. There used to be a neutral zone. Like, we don't talk about that because it upsets everybody. That's what you get elected for to send him up there because he can actually not only talk like a tough guy or walk the walk. I mean, been yeah, in combat, yeah. you know, and sees how things work and how they also how they work outside of this country. And the last thing we want to do, man, we're supposed to leave this place better than we found it for the next generation. And that's not happening right now. Let me ask you a quick question about that, because I, I feel your love of country and your need for service. And I, I respect it and I admire it. I, I do want to ask you, how do you feel when people are kneeling at our at our national anthem, are disrespecting our flag, turning their back on it? I mean, I didn't do anything like what you guys have done and it. It it upsets me. It it burns. I had somebody, I had somebody ask me if I'd ever kneel for the flag. And I was like, last time I kneeled down for the flag, there was a body attached to it. Yeah. Or I'll be face down. You know, we don't kneel. You can't fight from your knees. You know, you know, um, any problems you got, you got to get on your feet yeah. to, to solve them. Honestly, Ms. Megan, I, I would, I would be hypocritical if, if I said, don't do that to somebody who, you know, we fought for our right and our constitutional right in the constitution of the United States to do those things. If that's, if that, I, I don't do that. Yeah. I, I stand. I put Cause my we can my switch that. We can say that we fought for our right, not yours, but we, you, what'd you do for your right? Collective whole. Yeah. We, and we, it, we you know, it, it, you it's sad. It's, family. It, it hurts in the Olympics. You know, I, I just, I totally disagree with our American athletes that are representing the United States of America to take a knee. I don't think that is the, I don't think that's the proper way to get your point across while you're representing the country as a whole. Cause I don't feel that way. You're, you're in the Olympics. You're representing, representing a country. I don't. I, but as far as an individual, how do you mean you get exercising their right to freedom of speech and emotion? That's your right. I it. I believe wholeheartedly that's that your right to do that. I but I don't disagree. I I don't agree with that. Mm. What do you make of Drew Brees being so apologetic for defending his willingness to stand? Remember that? I love Drew. He's a great Come man. Come on, but that was BS. He was like such a groveler when they were like, hey, why? what do you mean? Why would you stand? Why would you I'll defend you standing? I think, <laughs> I think maybe, you know, I, I can't answer that because I'm, not, I'm uh, not Mr. Breeze and I wasn't there. I think sometimes people get caught up in the moment and their emotions play out in different ways. And if they have the opportunity, I, I also think a lot of our, our public elected officials and our and our our the people that we look up to, whether or not that that's an actor or whatever, they, um, you know, they're scared of what other people, th- I could give two shits less. But <laughs> that's right. Think about me. You know, I just, as your mom said, you guys are not scared of that. Yeah, we spent the first part of our adult life over in different countries I, trying to kill us I every day. Care, I don't it's how, all they did yeah. was talk yeah. about us. I don't care how many people like me on social media. I mean, I have platforms, but I don't, that doesn't, they're, the underpinning is more important to me than, I mean, if you got something that much to say, man, we'll, we'll eventually our paths will cross. You'd say it to our face, but like plugging into the, it's like plugging into a video game. If you're not good at playing that game, you can get beat and thrown out of there quick. I mean, it's just, uh, our technology is, is wonderful. And then sometimes it can't be. And it's, you know, you can, people can be mean just to, just to do it. Yeah. You know, so Morgan, well, how do you like your chances? How, how are the polls looking for you? I mean, I know we're a ways out. Well, yes, man, we're, we're over a year and a half or a year and some change out. They're looking very strong. We Q2 reportings. We were up front. We're doing very well. I'm at home. So it's my district where we were born and raised. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our Congressman, Congressman Ken Brady has decided to retire is another reason why I was come to, to run, but it, it's, we're doing very well. We're doing, I'm, and I'm, I'm comfortable. We, we have nine counties and I've, I've touched every single one of them, either in school hunting or fishing, or we mm-hmm. have family or land. So 
I think I represent my base very well. I think it does I'm great. Sorry, but I would just love to see. I would just love, love, love to see you in a debate with somebody like AOC, who's always trying to tell us how she's been traumatized at every turn. Everything she's done is traumatized her. Across from a Navy SEAL like you, with your history, Morgan, please make that happen. Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. All right, let He's me leave winning, it with this. We're not going to lose. That's just the way let it me is. leave it with this, with the brotherhood, right? And you say that the bond amongst the SEAL team is the same as the bond amongst the brothers. This is the final message in Morgan's, in, in Marcus's book. Uh, it's to you, Morgan. It says, finally, my fellow SEAL and twin brother Morgan, who came storming into the ranch within hours of the battle for Murf Murphy's Ridge, swore to God I was alive and never stopped encouraging everyone. Devastated by the death of his great friend, Matthew Axelson, still too upset to talk about it, he was nonetheless there for me, helping to correct and improve the manuscript, still with me, as he's always been and I hope always will be. Just like we say, bro, from the womb to the tomb, and no one's ever going to change that. Amen. Your love for each other, oh, your love for the country, uh, inspires us all. Thank you so much for your service, for helping keep us safe, for helping show us how to love our country. And God bless you guys. Yes, thank, thank you for you, the time. You. God bless you. God bless. Wow. Wow. How about those guys, right? I'm sure you're feeling what I'm feeling. For those of you who want to hear it in full, the Navy SEAL philosophy is as follows. I will never quit. My nation expects me to be physically harder and mentally stronger than my enemies. If knocked down, I will get back up every time. I will draw on every remaining ounce of strength to protect my teammates. I am never out of the fight. Those words Marcus wrote in his book are ingrained on the soul of every Navy SEAL. And maybe someday on the soul of every American citizen. I will never quit. Try to be physically harder. Try to be mentally stronger. If knocked down, I will get back up every time. I am never out of the fight. Wow, what a privilege spending time with them. Listen, have a great weekend. I hope you listen to it over and over. I know I'm going to. And don't miss our show on Monday because we've got Wesley Yang. So smart. The guy who coined that phrase, the successor ideology. Um, that's sort of where we're going as a country now, now that we've seemed to abandon small L liberalism, free speech, due process, and so on. And he's got his finger on the pulse of where we're likely to go next as a country. Thanks for spending the time. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures.